Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football. On the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network, in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us at the, on the web at gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards, one of the largest selections of vintage football cards and memorabilia on the web. Check out their website at msbsportscards.com. And we're also sponsored in part by BST Auctions. Check out their upcoming incredible fall auction at their website at bstauctions.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, who's a senior contributing writer to Good Iron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails yes. from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Joe. Welcome to the show this evening. Ah, Captain, it's so good to be back, sir. So good to be back. You were on a listening hiatus. To the show you did last week with, yeah, listening to the show you did last week with John, and it was just awkward for me to be listening in on someone else talking to the captain. That wasn't me. It was just, uh, so I'm back. Right. I'm feeling a little like a jilted lover, but I'm doing okay. I'll, I'll get over it, Captain. <laughs> Unfortunately, Joe, sometimes that happens. But without further ado, without further ado, I want to get right into our pregame talk here. And we are going to talk about an incredible rare piece of vintage football cards. And we're going to talk a little bit about the 1946 Sears and Roebuck uncut sheet of the Cleveland Browns that has a beautiful, Otto Graham pre-rookie card on it. Joe, I'm going to hand off to you, and I'm going to let you take it from there. Yeah, beautiful set. You you and I, uh, as uh, listeners know, we pick topics, uh, you know, before each show, and it's always fun to pick a topic. There are so many old, rare sets out there to choose from, and, we're, you know, we're trying to talk. We're trying to just, you know, pick them off one at a time, just uh, sets, rare sets, et cetera, the uh, 46 Sears sets, just one of my favorites. I just, I absolutely love it. Uh, part of the reason, you know, that I'm drawn to it is just so many pre-Hall of Fame rookie cards. Uh, and a uh, little bit of background, you know, 1946 Sears and Robux, a small company, you know, in, in the in the Cleveland area. Uh, the uh, the Cleveland Browns won the championship, and Sears commemorated that with an eight card, eight known cards. Let's put the asterisks there. We'll get to that later. Uh, of some of the players, uh, and uh, cards are a little bit larger. I 
how big were they? They were like, you know, two by four, roughly, and uh, featured eight players, three of them Hall of Famers. The set comes out in 1946. Those three Hall of Famers, Dante Lavelli, Frank Gatsky, and the great Otto Graham, predate their Hall of Fame rookie cards, 1950 Bowman, by four years. So uh, I'm, I'm actually very curious. It, it's a It's a mainstream but local set. I'm actually very curious why those aren't considered Hall of Fame rookie cards. Uh, you know, I consider the 46 Sears card to be Otto Graham's rookie card. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think it's it's the known, for lack of a better term, prejudice in the hobby that most Hall of Fame, um, uh, most rookie cards are being defined by their mainstream sets being mainstream. You know, Bowman, yeah. Tops. Clear, Philadelphia, so, and I and I think that's why a lot of these more unusual oddball sets are truly overlooked, to say the least, with regards to you know the value, the the rarity, so on and so forth of all these different these different types of sets. Now, as far as I'm concerned, and I know we've talked about this in the past years ago, that the Otto Graham 46 Sears and, Sears and Roebuck card is truly rare, truly unique, and at the same yes, time, yes. I do agree, I do agree with you. I I would say that could be classified as his rookie card. Now again, I'm not up on the PSA um, definition. Uh, definition. Yeah, and 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 as far as as far as looking at it for the value of a actual rookie card, so on and so forth. So I can see why both the major grading sites shy away from it and the registry sites shy away from it at the same time. And again, it, it is a brutal set to collect. And I know we've had yes. this conversation in the past, but also how many are actually in existence? 10, you know, 15, who knows that type of situation. Because uh, yeah, the PSA registry. Your show, Captain. PSA registry listed as less than a dozen, uh, and uh, okay. you know the yeah. the auto gram is the most populous. So I mean, it, yeah, it would definitely be a uh, be a roadblock, be an obstacle if you're a Hall of Fame rookie card collector, and you know if they used and and PSA tries not to have regional sets as Right. You know, anchoring. So, I mean, I can see why. And then you can get in it. You can see, like I said, the stuck would be if there, you know, there's 150 people collecting the Hall of Fame rookie card set. If there's a dozen of these cards out there, suddenly there's only 12 people who can, you know, complete, you know, the set because of the rarity of these, you know. But, All right. So I'll throw, I'll throw this right to you because you're, you're more into registry than I am. And, you know, me, I'm not big on graded at all. Does that help the hobby or does that hurt the hobby, in your opinion? Uh, it, pertaining to what? To, to not use the Sears, the 46 Sears for the rookie card? Yeah, and at the same time, does it turn off any possible new collectors to say, gee, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, create this Hall of Fame rookie set, but I know already there's probably 15, 20 cards in that series I'll never collect because there's so few of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so again, I, I've, 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 yeah, I've assembled the Hall of Fame rookie card set before, and uh, it would definitely be a turnoff. 
if there were certain regional sets that mm-hmm. I, you know, were simply not collectible. If, if the Grange rookie card was the, you know, you know, the 26 Spalding, you know, miscut advertisement, you know, there's less than four of those, you know, if that was his rookie card, that'd be a major turnoff. So, you know, PSA is in business to, you know, put plastic tombs around cards. Uh, and if people are collecting the sets, then they'll do it. So, uh, I can see why it's not the Hall of Fame rookie card set. But to people like me, I look at a set like this, and not only is it regional, you know, from Cleveland, but they're just amazing headshots of great football cards. And to be honest, I collect this set. Uh, you mentioned, you know, there's an uncut sheet. What really started this conversation was, me texting you a picture of a, of an uncut sheet I had. I was pulling some stuff out, you know, I, you know, going through the man cave, looking around, and I, I collect uncut sheets. And one of my favorite mm-hmm. uncut sheets is this 1946 eight-card uncut sheet I have of this set. It's one of the only ones I've ever seen, and I'm very, very proud to have it in my set. And I shot a picture, took a picture of it, and texted it to you, and and then we started a conversation, and you know, it's like, all right, let's talk about that in the next Gridiron Greats. But I look at that sheet, and it's one of the favorite things in my collection. It's just, it's rare. Sheets can't get trimmed or retouched or anything like that. You can't, you know, that's why I love collecting, you know, sheets. But I look at the autogram card of this. It just, it predates his rookie card by four years. At some point, I don't care what, what my, you know, what the overlords at PSA say his rookie card is. This is his rookie mm-hmm. card to me, and I, and I happily mm-hmm. collect it. Uh, and I've always loved regional stuff like this. You know, the, the Seahawks have a 1976 Fred Meyer issue, and uh, mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. one of Steve Largent. I collect that. I love it. You know, you know, it's uh, and you know, uh, I, I, I looking at these regional sets, and anybody who knows me knows I, I have a very strong – Love yeah. for regional oddball <laughs> insert types of sets, and to me, there are so many real neat historical oddball sets out there yes. that can be collected. And uh, yeah. again, I I collected, you know, from many years ago. Whatever was inside the pack, I kept. So if it wasn't a regular card, and I, I always use the example, first cards I ever opened were 65 Tall Boys. I open up the pack. Yep. I distinctly remember those rub-offs of the different college teams and, and the AFL teams. I did rub, you know, I did rub some off. I do confess to that because I didn't know what else he did with them. They looked cool on, on paper type of thing. And I didn't realize until many years later what I – collectible those inserts were and the other example i give 1964 tops pennant inserts which were basically afl teams and some college teams also um very very difficult insert to collect can't really grade them because they they came folded in the pack in 64 well really dating myself i think (laughs) it has to have been probably a year or two after That ship has sailed, dating yourself, sir. (laughs) (laughs) 65, 66, 67, somewhere along that line, I distinctly remember, I used to to go to this little candy shop in the town next to where I lived. It was called Branford Candy Store. I'll never forget it. 
my father knew the owner pretty well. So the guy, I would go in there yeah. once a week with my nickel or diamond buy whatever. So he, I remember him <laughs> telling us that um, he had last year's or a couple of years ago packs he found in the back room. He had one or two packs of the 64 Taps um, football cards because he knew I only bought yeah. the football. So I said, okay, I'll buy them. They were nickel each. And I, I distinctly remember opening the packs. The one thing I remember more than anything else were the pennants <laughs> inside. And I tried to figure out what, yeah. he did, what do you do with the pennant. And I remember I cut a piece of cardboard out. I trimmed the pennant, uh, the, the white backing of the pennant, and then I stuck it on the piece of cardboard. And, and I said, well, this is cool. I got it on a little piece of cardboard. And I still have those in my collection. And I counted as part oh, of I love that. four. 64 top Spencer. Now right. I know, I know the football purists would deny my 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 uh, 64 pennants. They would say that they are, you know, mar- they are mishandled. They're on cardboard. They are not pure out of the pack. Well, I saw over the years I collected a lot of them, you know, with the with the uh, white backing on them. But I always thought to myself, I better keep these. Are cool. I, I remember these when I was a kid. I and mean, I distinctly remember cutting the cardboard out and putting the sticker on it. Putting the pennant sticker. By the way, and just look by at the it. way, Captain, who gives a crap yeah, what just... people think? I mean, you know, at some point, why are we collecting these pictures of men in tights on cardboard? I mean, we're collecting it because it, it harkens us back to our our childhood. I mean, you're talking oh, yeah, about yeah. plunking, you know, going in and buying a, a pack, and in my mind flashes up a, a very young, you know, ambassador of football, a mustachioed seven-year-old. Walking in, plunking his nickel down because I I can't imagine you without a mustache, Bob. So when I think of you as seven, I still think of you with a big yep. mustache. Uh, yeah. So it's yep. seven year old with I a mean, mustache walking in, plunking his nickel down and grabbing some wax pack. Yeah. That that is a mem- that is a vision. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a vision that pops into my mind. So I mean, who cares but what I, you did with the penance? It's, it's your memory. It's your set. Yeah. And then it's the same thing when in 68 with the Taps posters, I used to put them on my wall. I had all the, any posters I got out of the box, I would either tape them or put them, uh, put little thumbtack, um, thumbtack yeah. through them and hang them up in my wall. And I used to look at them that way. Yep. You know, what'd you do with them? Yeah. Was I supposed to hermetically seal them back in 1968, knowing they'll be worth a couple million dollars back, you know, 40 years later? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do something like that. I mean, that's not the oh, purpose yeah, of it. You know, nickel or yeah. dime pack back then. It just, it just blows yeah, my mind. We would have known I... if, if we if we would have yeah. known. Think about what. Think about how how rich you'd be if you would have taken boxes of sixty five tops tall boys oh, and just put them away. I mean, a, a pack now is not worth a nickel. It's worth four or five thousand dollars. I know. I know. Well, I'll tell you. I, yeah. I can confess to this. Back in nineteen. 19- I got to say it was 69 during the winter. Um, again, the candy shop, he was, again, cleaning out stuff. He would find he, – he his store was a mess. He had stuff everywhere. He had, like, newspapers, magazines, uh, candy, all that kind of stuff. So, anyways, he – I remember going – distinctly remember it was, like, in the winter, probably January, February, it had been snowing outside. I trudged in there with my father. My father used to buy the paper and uh, bought his cigarettes from the guy. And um, – he said to me, uh, I got in the back, but he said, I know you don't have enough money for it. So my father said, well, how much is it? So my father, so he said, 50 cents. He said, I got 10 packs from 1967, the tops cards. And those had the crazy pennants inside of them. So um, yeah. I bought all, all 10 packs. I opened them up immediately that afternoon. It was a Saturday. 
And I remember a lot of those stickers I used to peel off and put them on my uh, binder for school, and I would just look at them during the day. That was the other thing. So I ruined uh, a couple million dollars worth of 67 PSA 11 <laughs> uh, crazy pennants there. So, you know, no, no it is what it is. But, it is. But know. I love this, but again, I love this Cleveland set. Oh, yeah. On the front, uh, you know, for example, I'm looking at an autogram quarterback. It's, it says the name. It's a nice headshot of each team, and the headshot of each player is what appeared in the, uh, you know, in the Cleveland Brown program, you know, uh, in the Cleveland Brown uh, uh, program uh, quarterback. And then it says the same thing on each card. Follow the Browns at home and away with Bob Neal over WGAR 1220 in your dial. Brought to you by Sears Roebuck and Company. Seven stores in greater Cleveland. And on the flip side, it wow. listed their 14-game their fourteen game schedule that week or that, uh, that season. Uh, not sure how you got them. I would imagine, uh, you know, they're regional, they're through the Sears. I would imagine you walked mm-hmm. into Sears and you bought something, and, and uh, you know, if you asked for it or if you bought something sports-related, perhaps, they handed you a card uh, and you collected yep. it. So, uh, you know, yep. it's, it's, I would imagine it's, you, you know, it's kind of like the Rogers Pete. There was some sort of redemption or, you know, who knows. But obviously they were exactly. promotional. They were get, trying, to get you, trying to get you to tune in, but... You know, who knows? But who knows of, how they're handed and a, out. And a lot of people don't realize that there were a lot of these different types of promotions for football cards, photos, yeah. stuff like that. And a lot of them are exceptionally exactly. rare. I mean, you just don't see them anywhere. And uh, when they do come up, uh, they're, they're very valuable. But that, that's uh, an incredible that, piece that you got in your collection. Yeah. And, as, and I'm not and sure if you remember I'm, this, but about – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm not – I'm not sure if you remember this, but like four years ago, somebody uh, on Net 54, I had to look this up, cause, but I remember about four years ago, somebody on Net 54 said they'd found a ninth card. Uh, John Yarniker, who was an end, and they posted this picture up. They're like, hey, I picked this up. Uh, they did some they, high-resolution scans, and what was determined was somebody, you know, had the same, you know, had the same saying, the Sears Roebuck, listen in on, you know, tune in on this. And the same schedule on the back, uh, but the dot matrix was a little a uh, little different. There was some bleed over. Yep, the yep. font was slightly yep. different. The union print stamp on the front was different. And what was determined was somebody had taken a photo of John Yoniker and 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 kind of made it into a card. There's right. hypotheticals. Right. Perhaps there were more people. I mean, uh, in the set, Marion Motley's missing. Willis Lou the Toe Groza's missing. So there's definitely some other Hall of Famers they could have made another sheet out of, but. If you think I always believe that set especially. They probably had a limited run. It was the first year for the AAFC. Nobody knew if it was going to yes, yes. run or not. So they probably wanted to make sure they didn't get stuck with you know thousands of sheets that they're going to end up throwing out. Yes. So they figured they probably yes. asked Paul Brown, who are your best players? We're going to use them and, uh, and just leave it like that. And that's what they did, I bet. Yeah. If well, you look at the, the time, schedule we'll on the flip to... side, uh, if you look at the schedule on the flip side, you know, two two of the teams on the schedule didn't make it. Miami, the Miami yep. Seahawks of all things was their season up. Yep. I mean, so you look at a couple of those, yeah, they you know, some most of the teams in the AFC didn't make it one, you know, or the entire, you know, time for the AFC. Yeah. 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 Love the set. I'm very proud, very proud to own that uncut sheet of, of the 46 years. I, it's one of the favorite things in my collection. 
Great, great. All right, we're going to move on to the show because our special guest is waiting. I'd like to welcome him to our show today. He's a well-known author who has been pro football's most passionate fans. He has his own website, Harvard Avenue. He's also a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, and he's a fan of all sports from Pittsburgh, especially his beloved Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a guest of our show back in May of 2012, six years ago, and I'd like to welcome to our show Mr. Harv Aronson. Harv, welcome to the show. Okay. Captain Joe, good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Hello. Good. Good, good, good. good. I'm glad glad to be on the show. That's it. Harv, it seems like I talk to you all the time, but only via email, so it's nice to talk to you in person again, uh, or on on the phone again, actually hear a human voice. It was uh, interesting. Yeah, we will meet in person. (laughs) It was interesting, a uh, new subscriber who's not really new to Gridiron Greats Magazine, said, you know, I read so much online, it's just nice to get a physical copy of the magazine in my hand and look at it. And, I, and I'm the opposite all the time because I, I prefer paper. I'm, I'm not big on reading everything online. I'm just getting tired of it. I'd rather have a book or, or a magazine or a newspaper in my hands. Yes, I still buy the daily paper here locally. And, uh, <laughs> you know, get, read my news that way, where I buy my coffee and my paper in the morning uh, before I go to work. So, Hart, let me start off by asking, how did you become a fan of the Steelers and of all Pittsburgh sports sports teams? Well, I'll tell you, when I was 12 years old, it was 1971, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. My father was watching the World Series on television. I walked into the room to see what he was watching, and I just happened to walk in at the time that Roberto Clemente, the late, great Roberto Clemente, was hitting a home run in that seventh game of the World Series. And instantly uh, I became a fan of baseball, and Roberto Clemente became my hero, and uh, you know I became a on that day, and um, it's ironic that the same year was the immaculate reception of Franco Harris's catch, and at the time they didn't have the local broadcast available unless the game was sold out, so that game was not on television in Pittsburgh, and I can remember it as clear wow. as day. Wow. Standing out in front of my house on the street <laughs> using a little AM radio listening to the game. And, I mean, it was as, as exciting as being there at the stadium as it was listening to it on the radio. And from that point on, I became a diehard Steelers fan, uh, all-Pittsburgh sports fan. And, uh, unfortunately, I also remember the day that Roberto died um, and learning wow. from somebody in my house coming down the stairs and saying, did you hear what happened? And I said, no. They said, Roberto Clemente has been killed in a plane crash. And, I mean, I, to this day, it just seems like it's it's not believable. I mean, he was such what a, a hero and icon in Pittsburgh. You know, fans of the Pirates just find it hard to believe this this many years later that the man is not with us anymore. It's just it's it's incredible. But since that wow. day, I became a diehard Pittsburgh sports fan and have been following them ever since. That's amazing. You know, it's, uh, it, it's funny when it's funny when you talk about radio. Um, I I teach one night a week, so and it's normally Monday nights. So I'm driving home from school. It's about nine thirty at night. So Monday night football is on some some sports station. So I, I find the station I listen to. I listen to it for about a half hour. And it's just nice to be to listen to the game on the radio again because you really got to think about you really have to listen to what the announcer is saying to recreate what's going on in the field so you can really picture yeah. what's going on. 
And to me, it just it gives so much more of a flavor of the game than what we have today where we have to have the game and then we have 100 commercials and then we have 50 replays of the same play over and over again. And then we have another set of plays and we have another 100 commercials, so on and so forth. So the, to me, the whole... The whole uh, pattern. Bob, the don't forget the uh, rough. Bob, don't forget the roughing the passer penalty in there. Right, right, and don't hit the <laughs> don't hit the quarterback. Don't tackle him. Touch him. You know that type of thing. And and again, it just it, to me it just takes away so much from the game. And that's why I still enjoy, even though the commercials aren't. I could always pop the station, put something else on, and then I know two minutes yeah. later to put the game back on. You know what I mean? So uh, I I do distinctly Not sure if you appreciate. Know. Nope. Oh. oh, sorry. Go it's, ahead, Bob. It's definitely. Yeah, I, I do appreciate the Yeah, I do appreciate when you said you listen to it on an AM radio because I can picture myself in my room looking <laughs> at my posters, defrauded on the uh, wall there, and listening on my AM radio also to whatever game was on, whatever time it was, you know, in whatever season it was, whether it's you know baseball, hockey, yeah. basketball, football. And to really date myself, listening to Continental Football on the big 50,000-watt station out of Hartford, WTIC, which was on, usually on Friday <laughs> or Saturday nights. So, wow, that, that, that's a great memory to say here. Well, as the captain, the captain knows, I'm a, I'm a specialist in, in sports history. That's what I love. And it's definitely a lost art. And I can tell you, when I was growing up listening to Bob Prince, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bob Prince enough, but he was the Pirates radio uh, announcer. And he was just mm-hmm. such an enjoyment to listen to. He was so much fun to listen to. And I would have preferred to listen to him on the radio then as opposed to watching on television because he just had an art yeah. of broadcasting baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I well, Harv, I'm not sure if you know my background. I'm a, I'm a diehard Seahawk fan. You know, born and raised up here in the Pacific Northwest, and I don't really harbor any ill will, you know, from the uh, stolen Super Bowl championship against the Seahawks in 2005. Just wanted to go a little, a little off script here. I put together a little pop quiz for you, and I was just curious. I wanted to get your input okay. here, so I'm going to throw up a, an Joe, A or before, B choice. Before you get to that, yeah. Before you get to that, yeah. I do know Mr. and Mrs. Seahawk personally, by the way. Oh, what do you mean? Oh, what, what do you mean, Mr. Seahawk? Mr. and Mrs. Seahawk, the ones that with the funny hair that comes to all the games. Oh, geez. I'm sure you've seen them. <laughs> yes, I Their have. Their husband's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, So just quick, just an A or B choice, and just shout your answer okay. out, and then I'll let you know whether you're right or wrong. All right, ready? First question. <laughs> yeah. Terrible yeah. towel. Who's the better, better, uh, better, better mascot here? Terrible towel or 12th man? Terrible towel. Uh, hey. That's that's not correct. That's not correct, Harv. Sorry. Uh, the reason I say that uh, is because the reason I say that, Joe, is because the terrible towel when it started, now if you look around stadiums, everybody's got a towel. We were the inception of that idea of waving towels. Yeah, that's a lovely story, Harv. Uh all right. <laughs> Question number two. <laughs> Question number two. The Steel Curtain or the Legion of Boom? Oh, the Steel Curtain, hands down. Those those four or five guys were the best ever. Joe Green, I mean, he's one of the best defensive players in history, without a doubt. And Elsie yeah. Greenwood actually does not get his due. He, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. And Dwight White is a great player. 
Ernie Holmes was off his rocker, but he was a good player. Sorry to say, Harv, uh, the correct answer there was Legion of Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I would expect uh, All right. Third question, Chuck Knoll or Chuck Knox? Oh, come on. Chuck Knoll's one of the greatest coaches ever. Although he did have a lot of hate- talent. And I hate to say I agree with you on that one. So. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck, okay. actually, actually, I, I wish Chuck Knoll was. I wish Chuck Knoll was the coach right now because this defense is pathetic. If you saw last yeah. night. <laughs> so yeah, I did. Yeah, they pretty porous there in the fourth quarter, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, I'm real disappointed right now. <laughs> yeah. All right, on to, on to my serious scripted question. I just I like going off the uh, off the script on occasion. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you're a Steeler fan. You collect Steeler items. I would assume you're a collector. Uh, what what do you got in your collection? What what cool Steeler items you got? Well, most of the over the years, you know, I've collected cards like anybody else. Um, I've collected a lot of books and programs, um, specializing in that stuff. You know, I, I'm interested in, in historical stuff. So, you know, one of my prized possessions, I guess, would be after they uh, imploded three of the stadium, I went after a, a seat back from the stadium and was able to yeah. obtain one. And uh, oh, awesome. I was also able to obtain a piece of the artificial turf. So uh, I keep I kept <laughs> that around because that brings back – um, you know, a lot of memories yes. since I was in that stadium so many times. And, you know, you just have to look at those things, and you know you can call back so many memories from that. And I actually was not in Pennsylvania at the time they imploded it. I wanted to go down for the implosion. And I think one of the sad things that I saw was when I went back to watch the videos of them imploding it, you had people cheering it. And that I just couldn't understand. You know, there was no, there should have been no cheering in the implosion of that stadium because when that goes down, memories go down with it. So I didn't quite understand that. But then again, it was a lot of younger people watching it, so they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know, Harv. I, I, you know, watching stuff in the Kingdom and when they blew the Kingdom up, I mean, I, I went up there uh, and cheered. I, and I, I don't remember if I cheered. I just remember there was a little bit of applause. I, I don't think it was people applauding for, you know, goodbye Kingdom. I think it was more – you know, hello, new era. I, I don't know. I, I never really thought about that until you brought it up. But, uh, you know, that's an interesting, you know, interesting thing to ponder. Well, I mean, there's two sides to it because in the, in place of that, now you have Heinz Field, which is a beautiful stadium. Um, it's yeah. open, open-end stadium. You can see downtown Pittsburgh. So, I mean, there's a plus to it. And, and in reality, while Three River Stadium had a lot of memories, the fact is I never really liked that stadium because, to me, it was just a, a cement bowl. And, you know, there was no no um, architecture to it, no nice design to it. It was just a cement ball. But, uh, yeah. you know, like I said, the memories were there. So, you know, I can recall so many times I've been there, so many different games. And as a matter of fact, going yeah. right, real quick back to the Immaculate Reception, there's another funny story, too. My father was actually at that game, and I remember him coming home and telling me that everybody thought the game was over when that last possession happened. <laughs> so everybody was just kind of relaxed. In fact, I don't know if you know the story, but Art Rooney was actually on his way back to the locker room to congratulate his players on a good season. He didn't think that they were going to win the game either. But my father told me the guy in front of him was eating some chicken or whatever, and when Franco caught the ball and took off, this guy was so excited, he threw his chicken up in the air and 
kind of landed all over my father standing behind him. But uh, <laughs> it was something. And, you know, Terry Bradshaw says he didn't see the play either because he was on his back, and Art Rooney just heard this roar and had no idea what was going on. And it was just – it's incredible. It was an incredible moment. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. The immaculate I reception. I loved uh, – I love seeing Franco's interview where he's like, you know, do you, somebody was talking about Hall of Fame. He's like, do you know, Franco, can you explain, uh, you know, why you should be in the Hall of Fame or something like that? And he's like, well, duh, the Immaculate Reception. <laughs> Just kind of and the other funny part of that story is John Frenchy Fuqua, who was actually the intended receiver on that play, the controversy still exists today that whether the ball hit him or hit Jack Tatum. And, of course, all the Raiders are going to say that it hit um, Frenchy Fugel, which would have made it an illegal pass at the time because, you know, an offensive player can't touch the ball on a reception if it's on a deflection. So John Frenchy Fugel, he gets hit with that question a million times a year, and he says, you know, I'm not going to answer it. I'm taking it to my grave with me. So (laughs) we'll never know. I mean, you can only watch replay and make a judgment for yourself. Yeah. That's just that's just to me so such a pure part of football history. It's just it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. To have that to have actually been there at that stadium to see it had to have been incredible at the same time too. Uh however, I'm just yeah. curious a little, a little off script. What's your oldest uh do you have really any old Steeler programs like from the sixties or fifties or I think the first one the I had thing? was I picked up at a flea market or something, I think it was nineteen sixty seven. I think that's the earliest one. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, and I think it was a Dallas Steelers pro game program, 1967. Okay, okay. <clears throat> very interesting. Harv, tell us about your website, Harvard Avenue. I looked and I uh, poked around it the other day. Looks very interesting. Mm-hmm. Tell our audience about it. Okay, well, Harvard Avenue is my own personal website where I write about, of course, the Steelers and all Pittsburgh sports. Um, and there's other sports just that, that interest me as well on there. I'm a big MMA and UFC fan, so I cover that a little bit. But the focus is on Pittsburgh sports. And I've actually um, been writing websites for quite a while. I had a original uh, Steelers-only website back in the 1990s, and it was called Steelers Hotline. And I ran mm-hmm. that for about 15 years, and then I put it into retirement for a little bit. And then a few years ago, I decided to, to bring up another website. And um, originally, it was called Allberg Sports. And then I changed mm-hmm. it just about a year ago or earlier this year to Harvard Avenue. And I chose that name basically because um, with the name Harv, I used to get called Harvard a lot. So I thought it would be kind of catchy to make it Harvard Avenue. So it's Harvard Avenue Sports. And, of course, it's um, www.harvard avenue.com That's an interesting but, website. I do recommend r- recommend the listeners to check it out. And it's, a, and it's very it's very well done, and it's a lot of, a lot of information there at the same time. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I appreciate what is Har- What is Harvard? What is Harvard Avenue? By the way, Harvard. Well, it's just here's the ironic thing. It's funny. It was a suggestion from my wife that I name it Harvard because I used to be called Harvard by so many people. They give me weird nicknames, you know. But we, for a while there, we were living on a street called Harvard Avenue, so it's kind of weird that uh, we moved into a street that was had the same name as the website. But it just stems from my name. I, okay, I wasn't sure if like you know 
Three River, River Stadium was on Harvard Avenue or something like that. So, no, okay. No, nothing like that. But I just thought it was kind of catchy, you know, it might catch people's attention. And then when they get there, they can, you know, venture around. And, uh, you know, of course, I cover, like I said, all Pittsburgh sports. But history is my biggest hobby. You know, I love sports history. So every once in a while, I'll throw some historical story on there. And as you know, I, for Gridiron Greats, I'm always writing about something historical, which I love to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, no, I the way enjoy, I enjoy. Yeah. I was enjoying reading your articles. I mean, they're very, they're very Steeler centric, you know, so I have to, you know, kind of take a deep breath before I start digging in, but you know, <laughs> well, I think the latest one Bob had me right was for yeah. all other Pittsburgh sports. And um, it's just <laughs> for me, you know, I always say it's a lot of different people that it's just, it's not the same watching sports today as it was, 30, say, 40, 50 years ago. And I only wish that it was similar to that now as it opposed to, you know, what it was then because what it was then is so much more enjoyable to watch than it is today. And, I mean, the perfect oh, example no is way beyond Bell situation that's going on with the Steelers, which I find ridiculous. Yes. I mean, and we were joking around about roughing the passer you know, yeah. you know, uh, making mm-hmm. time at the program for roughing the passer penalties, but it's become ridiculous. It's uh, it's really becoming a turnoff to fans. Uh, oh yeah, just you know, enough penalties, enough enough penalties. You know. Uh huh. And I don't know if you saw yeah, the Kansas City Steelers game, but there was five roughing the passer penalties in one game in that game, and some of wow. them were just I only, ridiculous. Wow. wow. I only watched the fourth wow. quarter. I, I was doing something, but yeah. It, it's mm-hmm. getting bad. We were we were uh, watching here that, on the East Coast. They had they had the 49ers and Chargers on the CBS network, and they were so trying just to focus on the field. And a few times the camera went up to the stands. If they had 10,000 physical people there, that was a lot. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I'm I'm saying to myself, you know, they're they're, they're killing themselves this year. Like once mm-hmm. again, you know, yeah. there's, there's some serious issues on the field which are carrying over to the fan base. And the fans are saying, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Just utterly mm-hmm. ridiculous yeah. to watch. Actually, it's I wrote funny a story because... Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. You go ahead, Harv. No, you. you I was just going to... I was going to say, I wrote uh, an article on this penalty thing last week, and I said, if Jack Lambert were playing today, he would have been thrown out of football. <laughs> and sure. and then I put a video of the a video of the famous quote he had with Howard Cassell yeah, yeah. asked him about the tightening of rules for quarterbacks, and he said, well, maybe they should put skirts on all their quarterbacks. And, I mean, he just would not have tolerated this. You know, he he was aggressive. He played hard, and that's the way the game was supposed to be played. And I just don't understand yeah. how they expect these guys to be rushing a quarterback and to let up. And this body weight issue At full speed. penalty, yep. the body weight issue is just a joke because – if you're tackling the quarterback, how are you supposed to prevent your body weight from falling on the guy? I mean, it, right. I don't yep. get right. it. Especially, especially if you're putting your shoulder in his numbers. It's mm-hmm. it's nice because yeah. uh, I, I I started, you know, assistant coaching my son's, you know, f- uh, fourth grade football team. And, uh, you know, so I'm on the sidelines, and I'm typically standing behind the sideline ref, you know, watching the scrimmage, you know, go. And, it was kind of cool because, uh, you know, last Saturday's game, there was a kid, who, a receiver who was lined up off sides. And the ref's like, uh, for the other team. And the ref's like, you know, number 26, slide back. Slide back. And the kid didn't hear him. And the play started off. The kid was off sides. And the ref didn't throw the penalty. And I tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, nice job, man. 
I mean, not, nice job. You know, the, the people don't come here to see a four year, you know, a fourth grader get you know get called for you know lining up in the neutral zone, you know, on the flank out. Uh, you know, and I liked it. I really liked it because, uh, yeah. It's it's getting it's getting ridiculous. I told jokingly, I told Bob, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat the NFL to it. I'm gonna start a two hand touch league, professional league. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> by the time my league is up and running, the NFL will have migrated to two hand touch, and but I'll have the advantage. I'll have already, you know, established dominance in the in the uh, in the area. Uh, oh, well. It's interesting you say that because I also put another quote from Ronnie Lott because uh, you guys probably well remember when he injured his finger and he decided it. To amputate his finger so he could play, yeah. And he was mentioned. He was mentioning sure. how he knew guys that played with injuries like Jack Youngblood, which I remember in Super Bowl fourteen, he had a broken yep. leg and he played anyway. And I mentioned that today, yep. these guys will break a fingernail and they're like they're sidelining themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yep. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever told you this, Bob, but the first game I ever saw was Super Bowl Steelers and Cowboys. And wow. I remember my dad was watching it. My dad was watching them, probably six. So I don't, I don't even know what Super Bowl it was, but Cowboys and Steelers. And, Super Bowl uh, 10. Just went out. And, Super Bowl 10, yeah. So what year was that? It yeah, would have been 70, 76. 77, yeah. So right, I'm, I'm seven years old. Yeah, that jives. But, yeah, the first game I saw, a, a, a Super Bowl, and just my, my parents watching it, I came out and sat on the couch and, you know, and, uh, you know, that's it. And here I am. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, yeah, it, yeah, it's very nostalgic. So, I mean, I, I, trust me, there's, there's history in the Steelers and the, you know, in the Cowboys rivalry like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the most cool. uh, memorable plays was Cliff Harris patting Lloyd Drill on the helmet after a missed field goal and Jack Lambert running over and picking him up and throwing him on the turf. I mean, that's classic. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen that, you got to Google it. Yeah. That cause it's, it's hilarious. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, Harv, tell us about some, uh, you know, some books you've written, articles, et cetera, of the past. I mean, obviously you write for Gridiron Greats. You're a co-senior contributor, contributing writer. You know, nice to, you know, nice to have uh, have have another one here uh, joining me. But uh, yeah, tell us about some of the books and articles you've written. Well, you had mentioned Pro Football's Most Passionate Fans, and I did that that writing a few years back. It was 2012, actually, and um, it's still available actually on Amazon and. Pro Football's Most Passionate Fans came from the fact that I had won an award in 2001 from Visa. They had a contest called Visa Hall of Fans Award, and they awarded this to one fan from every team for being their most passionate fan of the year. And they actually put your plaque in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so that was kind of of a big honor. Um, And following that, a few years later, I just decided, well, it might be interesting for people to read about all these famous fans from across the country. And so I put together this book, Pro Football's Most Passionate Fans, and includes guys like Big Dog and uh, the um, the Hoggets from the Washington Redskins, uh, the late Bill yeah, yeah. from Denver, um, Mr. and Mrs. Seahawk from Seattle, uh, all these other fans. Yep. And so it's basically just bios of all these fans and what made them such big. That was one book that I had published in 2012, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, so I've written does, for. Does every team have a big fan? Like, like, like I'm. I'm uh, I, I was do. just racking my brain, going, "Who's this? Who's the 49ers' biggest fan?" I was just literally was just trying to think of that. I, I, it, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, well, there was. Um, I can't 
can't remember their last name now, but Harry and Kitty, they were big fans. And what they did was they were, they were season ticket holders and they would allow um, visiting players that had no place to stay to stay in their home. And so they won the award, this Visa Award, for being the biggest fans of that year wow. that they won. And they would just usually let incoming players stay there, anybody that needed a place to stay that was, you know, players that needed a place to stay. Instead of going to a hotel, they would wow. have them at their home. So they were real big fans out in San Francisco. And um, there's a couple others. I can't remember the other guy's name, but his, he had passed away a few years ago, but there was a big fan there. Um, but, yeah, there's – for the most part, almost all 32 teams have somebody that has uh, some public notoriety for being a big fan. I mean, Cleveland's got Big Dog, and I've met him. Um, yeah. And Barrel, I met. I was fortunate to meet Barrel Man. He's a great guy out in Denver, and I don't know if you guys are aware of him, but he would go to games with just a barrel and no clothes on underneath. Uh, yeah, kind of funny. Um, so that yeah, every team has them. I mean, and the Hawkettes have since retired, so you won't see them anymore. Um, and then yeah. the old uh, Washington Redskin mascot with the guy that dressed up as an Indian. Um, I spoke to yeah. him. So, yeah, there's there's quite a few. Uh, that's pretty cool. So you compiled them, the results from the visa, from the visa uh, contest. You compiled the results and put it all in one spot, all the fans. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're just profiled. Okay. And the book is dedicated, actually, to Barrel Man because he had passed away by the time the book came away came out and the front part is a forward from his wife Becky and it's real nice real nice touch to it um basically he became who he was because somebody dared him to go into the stadium with just a barrel on and the Denver Broncos like so much they let him come to every game free as long as he put the barrel on and marched around the stadium so it's a great story but uh, it's it's well so yeah for um go ahead Oh, go ahead, Herb. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, so I wrote for another site called Fansided Sports. Um, there was one, the sports post, that I just wrote for a couple of years ago, and then, of course, Gridiron Greats. And then I got my start in high school. You know, I went to North Hills High School in Pittsburgh, wrote for their newspaper, the Travel Tribune, and then I graduated from Slip Rock University of Pennsylvania, go Rock, and I worked for their newspaper, the Rocket newspaper, um, the Rocket, and I was just sports writer there for them as well as well as i used to do radio that's originally was my original goal was to get into radio broadcasting but i was the sports director for uh slippery rock and called their football games so that was pretty exciting we had one guy that went to the nfl his name was ricky porter a running back he was a friend of mine and he was a running back and uh he made it with the detroit Lions for a little bit but never really became a big star but he, he was quite a good running back Wow. I remember you telling me that a few years back. That's pretty interesting. Have you, do you have any collecting or writing experience or story you'd like to share with our audience uh, that really stands out above them all, if any? Well, I guess my shining honor is that Pro Football's most passionate fans. And, um, you know, it, it's done fairly well selling. Um, I think a lot of the fans that were in the book bought a copy, gave it to the relatives and everything else. <laughs> it kind of yeah. died down as far as sales go. Um, but, uh, you know, I met a lot of those people on uh, a personal basis. And um, so it was, it was, you know, an honor to meet all these people, most of them anyway, and get to know them and then, you know, have the right to write the bios for me. So it was a lot of my writing, but it was a lot of their input as well. And, 
So the other thing would be, I guess, my Steelers hotline I used to have uh, years ago was actually featured as a featured Steelers um, website in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Huh. That's pretty good. If you're, if, yeah, if, yes. If they're, if well, they're the interesting thing is that when you go to the U.S. Huh? Go ahead. No, I was saying if they're, if they're putting it out there as, you know, they, this, this, is, this, is a, this is it. This is what we're considering. You know, this is mm-hmm. what we're thrusting forward. Yeah, that, that's really good. That's very respectful, even for, even for the Steelers. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. The day after that story came out, I was checking my uh, page hit, and I usually was getting about anywhere from 100 up to 200. And I looked the next day, and it was over 1,200. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. So, I said, oh, that might wow. be because of the articles. So, yeah, they helped. And that's, uh, that's got to be tough, Harv. That's got to be tough because I assume a lot of it has to be done in, you know, like pictures and sketches because most Steeler fans are illiterate, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know we have that reputation. <laughs> I could yeah, just well, picture Joe walking into a Steeler Seahawks game in Pittsburgh. And, um, <laughs> well, it's interesting seeing the ambulance come around very quickly on that one. <laughs> as far Bob, as you know, you know my goal. My goal oh, is to have yeah. a picture of me. My goal is to have a picture of me in front of every NFL stadium wearing a Steve Largent jersey. And yeah, yeah, I got yeah, about yeah. eight of them down. I've been to some tough stadiums. I've heard from people that Philadelphia Eagles Stadium is the toughest. I've been there and had people buy me drinks. And, uh, Wow. You just you just have to go in with a sense of humor, have fun, and be prepared for about four or five insults. Some people are like, Steve Largent sucks. You're like, he's in the Hall of Fame, man. That's like saying yeah. Harold Carmichael sucks. You know, does wow. Harold Carmichael suck? No, he doesn't. You know, yeah. I don't know. You just have to be prepared. Well, I can tell so, you, I've been to games uh, in Baltimore. I've uh, been to games in New York oh. for Giants and Jets. I've uh, been to – I'm now in Jacksonville. I've been to Stewart-Jacksonville games down here. And the only time I was in the stadium and was treated pretty good was with the New York Giants. Every other stadium I got harassed, you know, big time for being a Stewart's fan. But the Giants fans were the only yeah, ones who didn't say but, but what level of harassment? I mean, like, to me – People like, oh, you better watch, you know, you better watch your ass if you go to, you know, the Eagles stadium, you know. I've never yeah. been physically afraid. I've never had someone shove me. It's just, I'll, I'll take all the insults all day long and I'll laugh it off. Uh, I've, I, I've never had someone get physical with me. So, I mean, when you say, when you say, uh, you know, there's harassment and then there's downright physical. I, I've mm-hmm. never had someone get physical with me, you know. No, neither, I've had my neither verbal I, spars. I, Yeah, neither have I, but I can tell you the one Jaguar game I went to, there was a Steelers fan there, and this Jaguar fan and him were jawing back and forth, and this guy actually shoved the Steelers' wife. And security came down and escorted the Jaguar fan out of the stadium. And I clearly remember saying to to the security guy as he walked past me, he said, why are you throwing me out of my own stadium? He said, I'm doing this because if I leave you here, you're going to get killed. So, I mean, it, it can happen. Wow. Yeah, well... You're right. I, I don't know. I I just take the attitude. We're all here. To, I don't know. I, I I go to I go to away games, and trust me, I don't. I'm not that Yahoo who stands up and applauses. You know, we score. I mean, I I you know I'm rooting for my team, but 
I also realize that I am an invited guest in someone else's stadium and to be respectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my attitude. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That, that's a tangent, but I mean, well, I, to a Bears going game back to, Becker, um, did you now go for it? Art. No, I was just going to say, going back to this um, whole hall of fame visa thing. Uh, after I won the award, I was invited up to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the induction ceremonies for the regular players, and it turns out that they created a yearly gathering of all these fans at the Football Hall of Fame during the induction ceremonies. So I went up there two or three times for that, and I'll tell you, I had such a good time those weekends with these other fans because they all went in there with the attitude that we're all in this for the same thing. And we're all cheering yeah. for our teams. We all want our teams to win a Super Bowl. And everybody got along like they were best friends. And it was it was a really yeah. great feeling. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Bob? Yeah. Oh, no, here. oh that's mine. Girl. I'm sorry. I'm backwards. Yeah, <laughs> Read the script, Joe. And every, I know every week I, I tell Bob, I'm like, I've got the greatest seat in the house. And I just, I enjoy, I just, I literally tell people, it's like, just, if you get to sit around with the ambassador of football, Bob Swick, every couple of weeks and just talk football, isn't that kind of cool? Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. oftentimes I just kind of put the script, I kind of put the script down and just kind of sit there and talk. And, uh, and every once in a while there's this silence and I forget it's my turn. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, I'm sorry about that hard. Conversation. Okay. It's been a great conversation because uh, I, I love sports history. I love talking old school. Old school is the best. You know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, Bob, Bob and I get to see each other at the national. You know, we'll have dinner a couple times, and we'll sit at the you know the you know the BST booth, and we'll talk. But you know, you know, Bob's there representing Gridiron Great, so a lot of times we're a little distracted when we're talking. So we we get to catch up when we're on our when we're on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Harv, can you uh, can you talk about your new podcast? Yeah, I decided. Um, well, given the broadcasting background I have and my wife's encouragement, I always you know, said she'd do a podcast. So I began a new one. It's just only a couple of weeks old, and I call it Talking Sports on Harvard Avenue. It's available. They, you know, listeners can catch it right at my website because it's right on the front page. But uh, I have a page there that also lists other platforms that they can catch the show on. Um, that also hosts the show, and of course, it's also on Blog Talk Radio. And I will do three broadcasts a week. Right now, they're only 30-minute broadcasts, but I do three broadcasts a week. I will do one on Tuesday for to wrap up the Steelers' previous game, and on Thursday, then I'm going to talk about all other sports outside of football, since I am a fan of all the sports. And Saturday, then I'll give a, a Steelers preview and then predictions for my games, the other NFL games coming up on Sunday. And then right now, I'm not doing a live show just yet. I'm going to wait and see how the audience grows and then it possibly uh, go live and have people call in. But right now, they're like on a tape delay, so there's no set time. But I always uh, put up on the site, you know, new podcasts available, something like that. And then anybody that's interested, I'm trying to create a mailing list uh, and then they can be updated properly. And there's a mailing list on the bottom of my website where they can sign up or they can just email us simply at my uh, website email, which is theharvardavenue at gmail.com. I love that that by the way, Arv. That just... Say it again? 
that wraps it up. We're almost out of time. I appreciate you being on our podcast today. Some uh, some great memories, to say the least, and I wish you well on your new podcast. I'm sure it will be very successful. And I thank you very much for all the hard work you put into the articles you write for, for GG. And, again, this coming issue, issue 62, which will be out uh, roughly October 15th, will, uh, I'm sorry, October 22nd, will be on uh, Pittsburgh College football. It's a very, great, very, very interesting and informative article on that area. So, Harv, thank you for being on. I appreciate it, and we'll be in touch soon. I appreciate you having me. Have a great day. Take it easy, Harv. Again, all right. Nice talking as, to you. And again, as a reminder, we're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website, msbsportscards.com, and by BSD Auctions. Check out their website, their upcoming fall auction, bsdauctions.com. Two-minute warning and wrap-up. Joe, I'm going to hand it off to you. What, what did you learn on tonight's show? You know, for a Steelers guy, Harv was pretty decent. You know, I've, I've definitely got some, <laughs> you know, prejudgments. Prejudgments when it comes to Steelers people. I mean, but again, you blame me. John Spano's a Steeler guy, you know, and you and I have both talked about, you know, how John is a waste of oxygen. So it's just nice to see Harv. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding, John. I'm kidding. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm still there. Oh, this just got awkward. Uh, no, no, just good guy. All joking aside. All joking aside. I, I just, I. It is kind of funny, Bob. I just, I make one mistake per show, don't I? And it's typically when we just go off script and we start talking about something, and next thing you know, it's my turn, and and I'm just sitting here. <laughs> it does crack me up. So. Well, I'll tell you, I, yeah. I, I really believe. There are passionate fans. I've always said there's just passionate fans for college teams, passionate fans for NFL and AFL teams. You know, these are people who live live their team day in and day out. They're the diehard yeah. fans. The team can go, you know, six and ten, and they're still out there rooting for their team, so on and so forth. And I, I just find it to be very interesting to to talk to these different fans throughout the country with different teams. Harv having a lot of experience in the media and in, in football history at the same time, really have a, a real deep background in Steelers history and the understanding of it and where they came from. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really a very positive part of the history of the game and the history of the memorabilia of the game at the same time. Because, uh, again, yeah. the history of the game to me, is much more exciting than the game being played on the field, which is amount to being touch football right now in 2018. And it's it's just so sad to see what's <laughs> happened. I mean, really. Yeah, it's just pathetic. Just pathetic, pathetic, pathetic scene. All right, we're down about 45 seconds. Joe, any other final thoughts? Boy, watching the, uh, watching the BST auction click away. Some early activity, a couple things I have my eye on. Uh, so... Yeah, every time you mention incredible. that, I just I think about the stuff I'm watching. Incredible items, and uh, I, I am truly fascinated with that uh, 1894 mail set and a lot of those Roger uh, Peach car, cards, and then uh, the, yep. also the um, the tobacco piece, which is my na- the yep. name of it. Yeah, escapes me right the now. The 63 clear set. Yeah. Yep. Incredible items there, so I suggest anybody's interested, make sure you check it out. Okay, we're out of time. 
We'll be back uh, with in a week with another show. Thanks for listening. And again, check out our website, glitterandgreatsmagazine.com. Yeah. Always an honor, Captain. <laughs>